what you have to offer may be completely valid, but a lot of times it just comes down to timing. If it's not the right time, customer's not going to buy the product. But if you're the person that you differentiate yourself, you're top of mind, you stand out in a crowd, then when that time comes, they're already going to know to come to you. Robbie Connors, Enterprise Account Executive at ScienceLogic, drops some knowledge on how to finesse any system put into place, how to evaluate different job offers, and he shares with us a variety of tactics that helped him become a leading SDR. Hi, I'm Mark Gagne. And I'm Chris Corcoran, and you're listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Tech Sales for Hustlers is a podcast where we catch up with Memory Blue alums and reminisce about their start in high-tech sales with us. Let's go get some, Corcoran. Gagne, you know I'm ready. Robbie Connors, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm thrilled you're here. Yeah? The Robbie Connors. <laughs> thanks for coming in today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm super excited about yeah. catching up with you. Before we get into it, is it Robert Connors officially? Or is it always, is, is it Robbie? No, it's it's always been Robbie. And I, I did think when I was a kid, I thought maybe when I get older and I'm a real adult, which I'm still not, but uh, maybe when I get a real adult, I'll, I'll adopt Robert. And it just never felt right. It was too proper. Just, it's always going to be Robbie. So I like it. Yeah. Keep it casual. I yeah. like it. I think it also, my little theory on this, Tommy Gassman. Tom Gassman, I always tell Tommy, go with Tommy. It'll endear you with prospects. If you have credibility, it makes you more approachable. Yeah. Who does it like a Robbie? Yeah, it sounds, I don't, it sounds uh, I don't know, it sounds less threatening when you're calling people out, I guess. A Tommy or a Robbie, I don't know, just sounds slightly less formal than a Robert. Or I like a, it. Yeah. So let's get into it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah. I, by my account, by the company's account, it's almost been five, year, five years since you departed. Yeah, right? close to that. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it seems like just yesterday. It's it's crazy <laughs> to even think about. We're going to get into it. You've done a lot since you've left. You did a lot when you were here. But before we really get into it, let's talk a little bit about briefly about you growing up, where you're from. Where'd you grow up? Where you're from? Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up a uh, local guy. I grew up in Fairfax, Virginia. So I've lived here all my life. Haven't really, haven't moved at all. And uh, growing up, I went to, uh, I was all Catholic school, both grade school and and high school. So Holy Spirit and then to Paul VI, which there's actually several Memory Blue alumni from from PBI. Wow, we're going early on the alums. All right, who? uh, well, I like to say that I was the first, uh, at least the first that I know of. And then during my tenure at Memory Blue, uh, Steph Mueller. Stephanie Mueller. On the marketing side. Um, and then Lauren Maldemeyer. Oh, that's right. Maldemeyer. Okay. And uh, Pat Lytle. Wow. Oh, I forgot. All right. So, nice. So uh, PVI actually did a, a, I don't know if you guys know about this, they did a little scoop on Memory Blue. They came in and interviewed us and talked about alumni and technology sales and how we had that kind of PVI family within the walls of Memory Blue. Corcoran, well, right, we'll, we'll get into this. Is, does he, is not working the system or what's the <laughs> definite? I mean, he's just taking care of business. Taking care of business. I'm being opportunistic. I love it. Yeah, unfortunately for those ones, I didn't receive uh, those weren't uh, <laughs> referrals that I uh, got paid on in those. But we'll we'll get into some of those probably later. Yes, so. we will. <laughs> Covering all the bases. Yeah. yeah, Robbie Connors. Robbie, I cover all the bases, Connors. <laughs> okay, 
All right. So with the PVI, yeah, the Panthers, yeah, okay, go Panthers, and then yep. you ended up going to Radford, yeah. So from there, went to uh, Radford University um, and uh, majored in business. Didn't really know what I wanted to do at the time, but I did know that business was was where I wanted to be. So I ended up settling on marketing. I figured, found out there's a lot less numbers and equations compared to uh, accounting and finance. So it was kind of more up my alley, you know, not wasn't a huge math guy. So I like the creativity and the concepts within marketing. So that's, that's what I ended up in. But, you know, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I originally thought I want, might want to do marketing, mm-hmm. but ended up obviously going a little bit of a different route into sales. Um, all right. And yeah. then why, how, how do you think that may have happened? Yeah. I'm, you know, I, growing up, I never really thought of sales as a career path for me. Um, you know, when I was real little, I was, uh, I was all about sports. So when you're a real little kid, you know, you, the first thing you think of is I want to do that for a living. But then for me playing basketball, I quickly found out that height is an important factor. Right. So can't um, coach height. Yeah, you can't coach that. <laughs> so um, sales was never really on the mind. But when I look back on it, it, there are some things that kind of it made sense to me. You know, part of it is the sports. I think sales, I think sales is a sport in a way, uh, very competitive. Um, and I think that was definitely part of it. I use a lot of s- sports analogies mm-hmm. and I think there is a correlation between people that play sports their whole life seem to kind of naturally gravitate towards sales in some ways. So that was definitely part of it. But even things like I was always just wanting to kind of had this tendency to want to convince people to like my way of thinking. Where did that come from? Uh, well, my mom, she uh, actually was in sales. My mom was uh, did radio advertising sales way back. She actually worked for Mix One Hundred Seven Point Three back in the back in the eighties. It's a Jack Diamond channel. Yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. So, um, so I think I, I got some of that from my mom. But yeah, just to give like I guess an example around that was, and my mom always likes to tell this story. When I was in elementary school and I would take a test, you know, sometimes we're going, I get one marked wrong. I would go to the teacher and be like, if I can explain my way of thinking and why my answer is better or also correct, will you, will you consider it? And so I would, I would go to the teachers and and ultimately get my grades changed because I would explain to them why another answer was also valid. So while you don't think of that, I guess, as sales, it's just being able to, I guess, change people's way of thinking ultimately plays into it. You can't coach height, Corcoran, but you can't coach that either. <laughs> right? What kid, what kid, most kids aren't going to attempt to persuade their, their instructor, their teacher <laughs> to change the grade based upon their line of reasoning. And maybe they're really desperate for one test or one, one question, but that's interesting, right? That's yeah. kind of like, that's, you're kind of, you kind of, you were ready made for that. And sometimes I would even go up to them during the test and explain to them, like, based on this question, this is the way I'm thinking about it, but I could also see how one would think about it this way. And without asking them what the answer was, would get them to kind of be like, well, actually, I think the way it's supposed to be thought is this way and get the teacher to ultimately guide me to the right answer. So <laughs> now you're pushing it though, Robbie. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. All right. Okay. So, all right. So when Rat Radford, yeah, we're major in marketing, but there's a little sales thing maybe going on. Yeah. Right. Sports, those sorts of things. What happens then? 
So yeah, I mean, my whole plan originally was my thought process was marketing. I mean, that was what I was majoring in. But I came out of college and I realized a lot of the, you know, kind of entry level marketing positions, a lot of around, you know, it was around social media and, and things that, you know, I don't know, it just didn't quite click for me. And I had a, my kind of mentor within college who was the dean of marketing. He was the one who was like, hey, I want you taking these sales classes. I think this is something you'd be good at. And as I got started taking these classes, I realized that sales, a lot of it is kind of persuasion and just ultimately talking with people and kind of solving challenges. So it kind of opened up my eyes. I started to think about it, but I still, you know, wasn't quite sure about it. And, you know, when I was and I got to, I had a lot of friends that had jobs, you know, early in their senior year. And I wasn't one of those people. I still didn't know what I wanted to do. So by my spring semester, I was like, all right, I need to really figure this out. And so I started doing the things that every kid does. You know, they go to the job fair at their college. They look on the job boards, the university. And I just didn't see anything that great. And I was always thinking, like, what can I do out of the box to, like, differentiate myself? And it, a lot of it goes back to sports. What can I do that my competitors aren't doing to give me a comp- an advantage? And so one of the ways I did that, and this is ultimately how I found Memory Blue. So Radford's job fair you know, I'll just be honest, being a smaller school, it didn't attract the type of companies and have as many opportunities. And I went to it, but I ultimately wasn't impressed and felt like I needed a little bit more. And so I was like, what can I do? And then I'm like, Virginia Tech is 20 minutes down the road. And I thought about it and I actually talked to one of my professors and I'm like, hey, I'm thinking about going to Virginia Tech's job fair. I don't know if I'm like breaking all the rules because I don't go to tech. And they were like, no, you should do it. Do it. There will be more there. So I went there and, you know, felt like I didn't belong because, frankly, I didn't. I wasn't really I wasn't a hokey. Um, but Highlander. no one there's no rules. People don't understand that anyone can really go. I just walked in and I, I, I registered, got a name tag, walked in and some of the people, you know, I talked to, they, they found out I didn't go to tech because I, I, I was at least honest about it. And, you know, they weren't interested. But I was walking around. I see Memory Blue and I never heard of it. I had no idea what you guys did, but I just was one of those people. I, I'll just go up to someone and start talking to them. So I still remember Mike Vessels. Mike Vessels. Mike Vessels. Was, it was him and Nimit were uh, <laughs> the pop machine. And Nimit bot. Yeah. Mike Vessels and Nimit were manning the booth at the Virginia Tech job fair. And I started having a conversation with Mike and he told me about it. And we had a conversation. He's like, dude, you should definitely consider sales. And I understand where you're coming from. You don't know what you want to do. But if you are going to try sales, you're going to want a place that's really going to give you, teach you the fundamentals and coach you up and train you so that if you do like it, then you know, you're already in the best position. But if you, even if you do decide sales isn't right for me, you know, a lot of what you'll learn is transferable. And that's very true. A lot of what you learn in sales can be applied in other areas. Sure. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it a place that's going to give me the training and it's going to help me be successful. And also the other thing that appealed to me was, you know, the, the different, different types of clients. 
You know, so a lot of people don't know early on, do, do I fit better in a big company or a startup? Do I like IT uh, focused or do I like marketing type software? Mm-hmm. A lot of times you don't know that until you experience it. So the ability to get exposure to different types of clients and kind of a lot of different areas really attracted me. So that's where I decided right then I was like, all right, this company, I think this is what I want to do. Um, but you know, I still wasn't sold on sales, but I was like, let me check it out. And if I'm going to do sales, this is what I'm going to look at. Um, so that was kind of one of the things, but I also was looking at marketing and even financial advising. So even when I was graduating from college, pretty much, I still wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I knew memory blue was something I wanted to take a look at. Can't coach any of that stuff. Going so going to the Virginia Tech job fair when you really weren't you know technically supposed to it's a great move yeah and you know you did well at Radford right Radford University Dean's List Scholar yeah so you just doing well academically thinking for yourself and then you ended up kind of on our doorstep yeah but it wasn't it wasn't even there was uh, there were some challenges along the way it wasn't an easy path to uh, getting to memory blue. So just because you want something doesn't mean the world gives it to you. Right, Robbie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think the world gives you very few things. I think a lot of them, you have to go out and get it. Um, people aren't just going to hand things to you. Jobs just aren't hand- handed on a silver platter. Um, for me, the other thing that was challenging was I mentioned no one in my family does sales. I didn't know anyone in sales. So some people, they have great connections because their dad might be a VP of sales or you know, they, they have that connection. That's a great way to get a job. But I didn't have any of that. I didn't never heard of memory blue. Didn't know anyone that worked there. Didn't even know anyone really in software sales. So I didn't have that advantage of that connection. So I feel like I had to work a little bit harder and kind of prove why I belonged. And it, it was, you know, something that they was a little bit more challenging than I than I originally thought but I think through perseverance and just really wanting something you can accomplish a lot of things that you may think are too difficult Babe Ruth once said it's hard to hard to stop a man who doesn't quit first exactly <laughs> so talk to us about the, the recruiting process of us trying to secure your services yeah. and for you trying to secure a role with us so after I talked with Mike Vessels at the uh, at the job fair, he immediately said, he's like, hey, I'm going to have Tiana, our recruiter, reach out to Tiana. you. And I asked him, like, do I need to, like, apply or anything? He's like, no, no, no. We had a good conversation. Don't worry. You know, and I think within a day or so, uh, Tiana reached out. And, you know, I went through the the whole process of interviewing and, and you know, what what really I think the most important thing for me was everything sounded good, but sometimes you're a little skeptical. Like every every good recruiter can make any position sound appealing. So sometimes, so for me, I was like, I need to like see it, you know? So the big thing was coming in for my in-person interview. I came in, I remember I interviewed Chris with you and um, with Mike Mishler. Fish daddy. Um, and... The thing that what was kind of unique with me is I still remember this perfectly. It was a Friday and it was in March. At the time I was there was during the uh, you guys were doing some kind of tournament. I think it was the March Madness. Mm -hmm. There was just this energy in the office. There was you guys had the brackets up and everyone was, you know, 
I could hear everyone on the phone. I just felt the energy. And while I was there, there were people hitting the gong. And then I remember the bell, someone was ringing the bell nice. because the, at the time, I think someone had just broken the record for like fastest uh, person to get hired out at Memory Blue. And so there was just so much going on. And I was like, what is what is happening in this place? This is madness. But it's almost like a casino, right? It's like sensory overload. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's people running around and everyone's on the call and people are shouting and screaming and, and you guys are, you know, I'm like, what's going on here? And you guys explained to me, they're like, well, if they hit this number, then they get to like leave early on Friday or, or something like that. And so I could see right there that you guys had this great way of incentivizing people and making things competitive and being growing up, being a competitive person playing sports that really appealed to me. So as soon as I came in for the in-person interview, I was like, okay, I want this. This is awesome. And so you know, I thought, okay, this is the final step. You know, Tiana will reach out to me. I'll get the job offer and we'll talk about it a little bit more. And then that'll be that. But to, I guess, a little bit of my surprise, I get it. I get, do get the call from Tiana and she explains to me that, you know, they had one opening and that they really liked me and it was really close, but they decided to go with a different candidate. But because, you know, they saw potential in me, they wanted me to work with Julianne, who at the time was, you know, on the search team and had a opportunity. So um, Julianne Thompson was definitely Julianne. Uh, well, I guess it was Sweat at the time, you know, so right. we all called her Sweat. Yeah, but right. uh, <laughs> we, we, we all still do. <laughs> I don't know if she if she really appreciated it. But, you know, you have that last name. It's it just kind of sticks. Right. You it's know? your last name. You can't. How can you not appreciate your last name? So, well, well, she did try to change it to Sweet. <laughs> she tried to pull that once on us. Be like, no. But <laughs> it's not even spelled honestly, Sweet. She was such a hustler that oh, it just yeah. it just fit. And whether whether or not she likes the perception of sweat associated with your name, it just to me it it, it made a lot of sense. But anyways, so talking with Julianne, you know, she's telling me about this position and I, I'm I'm kind of one ear like listening it, but on the other ear, I'm so like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I just want memory blue. I, I get this other thing. It sounds interesting, but I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And it, I think it went back to that energy from when I was in the office. So I would, I would find ways to still ask her questions. Like, so how long have you been at memory blue? I, I kept asking her questions about memory blue. And then eventually she got to the point where she talked to Tiana and she was like, you guys need to like, this guy won't shut up about memory blue. He's so persistent. He keeps talking to me like you, you guys just need to like talk to him again. And I think a week later, you know, I, uh, a position opened up and I got the offer. So I think that's something a lot of people don't realize is cause I didn't tell a lot of people, but you know, I, I was told no. And I just, I didn't want to accept that was the answer. So I figured if I if I kept asking, I kept trying, maybe maybe something will happen. So, so you didn't hear no. You heard not now. Yeah, I heard we liked you, but the timing didn't work out. Not, you know, we're not interested. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, if I stay top of mind when the time comes, you know, I, I'll be the one they call. And that's a lot of what sales is. It's not you know, what you have to offer may be completely valid, but a lot of times it just comes down to timing. If it's not the right time, you know, they're not, the customer's not going to buy the product. But if you're the person that you differentiate yourself, you're top of mind, you stand out in a crowd, then when that time comes, they're already going to know to come to you. And if you're persistent, then, you know, they're going to be, 
they're going to be like, yeah, you're always reaching out and now's the time. So I think that was just something to, you know, that I, a lesson I learned through the interview process at Memory Blue was, you know, it's just about timing and persistence. This is when I, when, this is when I wish Bill Walton was a podcast host for us because he, Robbie Connors dipping into his treasure chest of freaking <laughs> lessons and parables, crushing it. <laughs> This is you have, you have some insane memory too because you remember a lot of the details, but you remember all the things you learned along the way too. So it's I, I'm, I'm 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 fired up. <laughs> and it wasn't because the job opened up. The reason why we came back the second time around is because you did such a great job of highlighting us that you wanted to. Whether or not we had a job opening or not, we said that we got to bring this guy in. I mean, I can't say that for sure because I can't go back that long in the memory banks. But that's my guess, Robbie. Actually, I can I can comment on that because when I when I got hired, I was like, all right, who's my client? Who do I got? And Mitchell at the time was like, actually, we we don't have one right now. Um, so that kind of was like, okay, maybe they, maybe they did just want to bring me in. Um, and so I actually started on a PPM account. I didn't have a client for at least a month into my memory blue career, which was a little bit different than most people. So dude, Robbie. So, so that's exactly what I just said, right? We brought you in because at some point Mishler, who Mishler was one of the best at identifying talent and getting him on his team. I mean, that was his calling card. I want that guy to pick my fantasy football draft or something, yeah, something for me. A phenomenal talent evaluator and talent secure. A great recruiter. And he was a pioneer in terms of just hiring people. And we'll figure it out. Stockpiling draft picks, Robbie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Daddy Ainge of Memory Blue. So so you, you, you started working for Fish. And yeah. Then- yeah, so I started my first uh, account was Oracle uh, through Alliance Technology Group as a, as a PPM. So it was Oracle Storage. And Alliance. They're still a client. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember my first day kind of calling. I, w- I was one of those people. Sometimes I can be over analytical. So early on, I think I, w- I spent too much time trying to like learn the technology and kind of the features and researching that. And, you know, after a few days, I think... Mishler was like, no, you just get on the phone and you'll kind of learn. You'll be fine. I know you're nervous, but just you just go after it. And so I said, OK, my first day on you know cold calling, I was extremely nervous. I had no idea what was going to happen. And I think the first conversation I ever had actually booked a meeting and on my first day. And uh, I was like, you know what? Maybe this isn't hard, but it was actually... I, I can't remember who told me if it was Mike Mishler or Matt Bright or someone um, said to me, Mr. you know, uh oh, he, you know, kind of like that, that, that may be a bad thing. And the reason why is just because I think I scheduled a book to meeting my first day. I think I booked meeting two like four weeks later. <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe I take back everything I just said. <laughs> yeah, like, it was, uh, I think I just got really lucky and I thought, oh, this is going to be easy. And it, it wasn't easy. And so my actually first few months at Memory Blue were, were a lot, it was a lot of hardship. I mean, I, I wasn't doing the way I wanted to. I felt like in some ways, comparing numbers wise, I was ina- inadequate to some of the other people there. So it was definitely not all just success from the beginning. It was it was the first three months, you know, I, I didn't hit quota, you know, was afraid that maybe this isn't going to work out. But you know, it, it, it ultimately turned the corner and saw a lot of success, but definitely wasn't like that way. What so, kept you going during the struggle? 
I think part of it is I think the most important thing for a good sales rep is just a burning desire to succeed. You know, if you ask me what my biggest fear in life, it's it's failure. It's not meeting the expectations of what I hold myself accountable for. So being competitive, I hate losing, you know, so it was something I had to figure out what will allow me to be successful. And the way I did that was I said, let me figure out who are the most successful people, who are the people that are on the top of the leaderboard and what are they doing differently? So I would identify, I guess, kind of mentors Mm -hmm. and try and just if it's just one thing I take away from them and, and then kind of steal that and bring it into the toolbox. And so that was kind of my strategy was just figuring out what other people are doing that's successful and basically steal their homework. Whose homework did you steal? There are a few people for certain. Um, one that immediately came to mind was Ryan Cooper. Coop. Yeah. So he was at the time was just every time you guys had a, a monthly incentive, he, he seemed to always be up there and he was a guy you know, make hitting quota, making money. So that guy was hustling. Yeah. I was like, what, what is he doing? So what was he doing? He had something that we referred to. I don't know if he coined this term or if everyone else did, but we called it the Cooper special. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like something he coined. Yeah, (laughs) I'm going to call something after myself. So go on. Yeah. (laughs) So the Cooper special is basically the opposite of what a lot of people want to do is that when people ask you questions and you don't know the answer, use that as an opportunity. So what I mean by that is that he would get questions of, can your product do this and that? And he just wouldn't know the answer because a lot of that is just over what an SCR's head might be. Sure. So instead he would ask, you know, why is that important to you? And if we can do that, would it be worth your time to look into it? And so he would get the person to admit what their biggest pain point was and that if you can help me with that, then it's worth my time. And then from there, and this is the key part, I think, is not I'll send you information and follow up. It's, hey, I'm pretty sure we can do what you're asking, but I'll be honest, I'm not 100% sure. But I know this is important to you. So I'm going to do my homework and look into this. And when would be a good time next week for us to reconnect and discuss this? And even taking it a step further, if I find out that, you know what, I'm wrong and we can't help you with the problem you're looking to solve, I'll simply cancel that invite. I don't want to waste my time or yours. But assuming we can't help, when's a good time to talk? So he would book the meeting um, and then get back to them and give them some kind of assurance or send them something. Here's that how we did it for someone else and then have that meeting. Um, and I thought that was brilliant, you know, not trying to answer all their questions and kind of using that as a strategy to get them to agree to a meeting. All right. We got to break this down again real quick because alums listen to this, but I know many of the employees listen to this and, and I've had folks email me and tell me they've booked meetings off of what they've heard in these podcasts. So let's talk about the Cooper, the, what do we call it? The Cooper what? Cooper special. Yeah. Or so, the, yeah. So Cooper special or Cooper close. Prospect so. asks you a question. And then what do you say? If you're the salesperson, if you're the Cooper? The first thing you say is not yes or no. It's 
why can you can you explain that a little bit more? Why is that important? And you you turn the question back to them, mm-hmm. which is great because this is what we tell us here as a memory blue. So this is the part at first I was skeptical, like, come on, Ryan, this is what we teach you here. But then as we get into this, this is definitely the Cooper special because the it's not the answer to the question, right? It's why are they asking the question? But everyone's whole lives you've been trained to always know the answer. Like, call on me. I got the answer. I know the answer. And that's not what it's about. It's about why are they asking that question? So then you say, well, what? what why, why is that important to you? And then I say, blah, blah, whatever the prospect says. And then what do you say? Well, from there, I think you want to do it a, a step further and mm-hmm. get to that, uh, going back to Ganesh, you know, getting to that level two pain. So uh, understanding to them, okay, you know, this is important to you, but why is it important to you? How does it impact the business? And I think that how does it impact the business? That's where you get value out of it. And so it's not just understanding, okay, you care about this. Why do you care about that? And how does that impact things? And, you know, what would that do for XYZ company if you were able to get that? And then, and then, then the, then the kind of the move is if I'm, if that's something we are able to do, or let me do my research, would it be worth your time? Tell me what's the transition piece right there? Yeah. So then it's saying kind of give them, you know, either just be, I'm on it. I'm be honest, you know, never want it. People, think that salespeople will deceit them. So the way you kind of have to break that stigma is just being completely honest and that they trust what you say. So getting naked. So yeah, yeah, getting naked and just admitting, I don't know the answer to that question, but I understand why it's important to you. And if we can help with it, then it is worth your time to discuss further. And I will take the homework to kind of come back and give you some kind of assurance or some kind of proof point. Or I come back and say, we can't help you we're not a fit and I, let's I like not waste that. each other's time. You kind of get them to buy in, but then you're also backing away. You're taking it away a little by saying that if, if we don't have the answer, which is, which may be true, yeah, then I'll let you know. And I don't want to waste my time nor yours. And then, oh, this person values my time, but this person is kind of no nonsense. And all right, we're nerding out, but this is good. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay. All right. So, so you, the Cooper the close. Co- yeah. Cooper close. Cooper okay, close. Yes. What you learned from him. Who else did you, who else's homework did you steal? Abigail Lacey was a, was another one that she was a consistently someone that was performing well. And so I wanted to see what worked well for her. And I found out she was really good when it came to emails and, you know, getting people to want to commit and being persistent in the way she worded her emails. So, I took some things from her, like she said, never, you know, feel because in sales, we know persistence is is key, but persistence can be felt as annoying. Like, I don't want to just keep emailing this guy and bothering him. But if you can always be adding value to to your messages while also being professional in the way you deliver them, people actually really like that and respect it. So one trick she had was I'm like, hey, I've already emailed this guy a couple of times. He's not getting back to me. Do I, I don't know what to do. I don't want to keep bothering him, but at the same time, I want a response. So just little things like she would put in her emails kind of at the end. And this might be on like a fourth email where, you know, you've, you've been hitting this person up and it's, it's not, they're not getting back to you. It's just saying things like, I hope my persistence is only viewed as professional. So when you do little things like that, it's showing them that, you know, you are a human being, but that you're also being very professional in it. And, you know, people don't see it as this is just a sales rep that all cares all about themselves and is just, you know, being super annoying and persistent. This is someone that's adding value and doing it in a professional manner. And 
you know, I think people appreciate the persistence when it's done correctly. Uh, one more I'll mention that definitely comes to mind, and I would be remiss if I didn't at least mention it. So the other one, which I still use to this day and has been adopted by an entire science logic team um, <laughs> on the inside sales bases. team, is uh, the shameless last attempt email. And okay. I think it was Toby. Uh, <laughs> Toby doesn't Toby. get credit for that. Well, I know, <laughs> he, I'm not saying he created I it. I know, I'm just kidding. But... Uh, I don't know who did, but that was one. Toby was another one. He was he was a, a hybrid guy where he was like working with Memory Blue Sales, yep. but then was I guess so good that was also, you know, helping out with uh, on the client side. True. And uh, so Toby was one of the more senior guys when I started, and that was something I remember I picked up from him, and it's just very effective, and I still use it today. And that's great. That's kill, great. Killing the game, Robbie. <laughs> Killing the game, man. So, no, you got another one? Well, no, no, no. I think those were the, probably the top three, but then I think part of it is taking things from other people, but then also learning kind of, you can't just always just copy things if it doesn't feel right to you. So also just kind of taking something that was, that maybe you learned and putting kind of your own spin on it, mm-hmm. I think is really important. I think that's really important because we bring folks in and some people, I know I did, you go into like a little identity crisis because you want to be who you are, but you also want to deploy these techniques at work. And some of them may work better for you. Some of them may work better for Chris. Some of them may work better for me. And you've got to figure out which ones do work and which style you can adopt, but still be professional and on top of it. So that, that, that's a great point. What about the other way around? So did you help people. And I know, and I know you did, I just want to bring up, so I want to talk about it. And I don't know if you were a mentor, if you had a protege or talk, talk about that stuff. Yeah. So I, I really like the mentorship aspect of memory blue. When I started, um, another person I should probably shout out is Kevin, Kevin Shiaza. Mr. Shiaza. He was uh, my mentor when I started at memory blue and he also taught me a lot. And one of the things he, he mentioned was, you know, when someone asks a question, never think two steps ahead of, I'm going to ask all these questions, always be work on your listening skills and take part of the question and send it back to them. So it could be something just clarify this further. So I absorbed that. And over time, what I learned was that you need to be very prescriptive on what resonates with that specific person. So one thing I think I did mentor three or four different SDRs during my tenure at Memory Blue. And one of one of the things I think that was you know, I passed on as I, as I became more seasoned at Memory Blue was taking the simple a la carte that you guys, you know, classic staple, but putting my own spin on it. And so the way I did that was instead of having, you know, the, the three things that may appeal to just anyone on a technology, I did what I, I coined the customized a la carte. And it would be very different depending on the specific person I'm talking to, their background, maybe things I can pick up from their LinkedIn. And so it wasn't just the three things that I always used. It was something that was always adapting and changing based on the specific person or the company and what would be most important to them. The Connors curve. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's unhittable. I like it. <laughs> An unhittable pitch. I love it, Robbie. So while you were here, you were you were just school was in session. You were studying people, copying them, developing your own curve, uh, looking to add value in any way possible, referring people in, referring us clients. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I'm one of those people, once I'm into something and I like it, I want to go 110%. You bleed blue. Yeah. So, you know, I, I was I was not just thinking about, you know, hitting quota, but how can I, you know, how can I help in other ways? And how can I, you know, if, if you're passionate about something, you naturally want other people to be you know, interested in as well. So I really enjoyed my time here and also found out there was a financial incentive behind referring clients and referring candidates. So, you know, I, I always look at how can I uh, reap the benefits of, you know, the different areas within, within a comp plan, but also just, you know, showing people this is, what I found to be successful and, and what I've enjoyed and, you know, finding people that have kind of similar interests and stuff like that. But um, I guess going to the client thing, that was kind of a fun one because I referred a company that, you know, was really struggling. Um, my girlfriend at the time actually worked there as an intern and they were a small company in the tech space and they were really struggling to kind of get funnel and pipeline going. So, I once I heard that I was like, oh well, this is exactly the problem Memory Blue solves, and so I referred them, and I think passed it over to Tommy, and Tommy did his thing, and I passed the ball off, and he slammed the basketball home, and was definitely one of the cool things to see happen. Well, we all know if you give it to Tommy, it's gonna close. Yeah, <laughs> but that actually netted me a uh, some. Bluetooth headphones that you guys you guys uh, provided to me, and uh, I still have my Beats headphones. I use them every day for work. So oh, so cool. They're, I totally forgot about that. And when we were preparing for the podcast, Mark made a comment about your headphones, and then you told that story. I was like, oh man, I forgot about that. That's yeah. awesome. Really yeah, good so, ones. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, you. You are the only person in the history of the company that had a unified belt. So yep. <laughs> talk, talk, talk to the listeners a little bit about the belts because we've, we've changed how we one way in which how we award those belts. But talk about the, the belts and how you were able to secure both of them for the month. Yeah. So, you know, you guys are always coming up with fun and creative ways to kind of celebrate success, which I love. And so one of the ways you guys did that was having this concept of a belt like a like a WWE wrestler would wear after they win. And um, so you had one for, I remember it was client retention and the other one was just quota attainment. And so how did the client retention one work? Basically the, the longer, you know, you were on an account and you kept the client, you know, coming back, then, you know, you, you just accrued that uh, over time. And so my first real client was NetApp and I, I had them from, you know, my second month at Memory Blue until I left. And so over time, you know, just by sticking it out and staying on the account, I was, you know, passing people on the leaderboard. Um, so that was the first one I got was the client retention, which was nice to have, but I, I wasn't fully satisfied. And the reason was one of the people that was, that I mentored was Yassine. 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 Oh, that's so he's so fortunate you were his and, mentor. Yeah, Yasin Yasin was was very competitive, anyone that knows him, and I am too, but he he would he would want to challenge me and he he was really good and and so he ended up he had the, the month I got the client retention, Yasin won the belt for uh quota attainment. Okay. And while I was happy for him, there was also <laughs> a part of was like 
no, the grasshopper is not going to pass the teacher kind of thing. <laughs> so I was determined to take that from him because I didn't want to see him smiling and wearing it anymore. So um, the next month, I think that gave me a little extra motivation and I was able to uh, pass him on that while still holding on to the client retention. So, so you had both belts, the unified <laughs> champion. And there's a picture of you and him. We got to dig that up somehow. Yeah. Um, of you guys with the belts at the same time, right? Yep. So that's a good story, man. Memory Blue alumni, is your company actively trying to fill open sales roles with high achieving ballers? The Memory Blue Rising Stars program is a unique outplacement service designed to benefit our alumni and our tenured sales development professionals at the same time. Most of the SDRs that work on our client campaigns are under contract for a specific amount of time. Once the SDR's contract expires, he or she may wish to explore various new career opportunities. We call these well-trained hustlers our rising stars, and this is where you come in. Every single member of our alumni network has full access to hire our rising stars into their current company at zero cost. Whenever we have a new rising star available, we'll drop our full alumni group an email letting you know about the opportunity. This benefit gives alumni and their current employers a huge edge in closing the sales development talent gap. It also gives you the inside track on cashing in any referral fees associated with referring new hires. If you're looking for tomorrow's sales stars today, head over to memoryblue.com slash alumni. Let's fast forward just a little bit, not to departure, but talk about your, your time with us. So you were with us for 20 months. Yeah, right. I was, yeah, I was there much longer than the average. And by the time I left, I was probably one of the most tenured people outside of maybe some of the DMs or, you know, Tommy, who's been here forever. <laughs> so uh, we have a couple of uh, traditions in the company that they're, 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 they're one, of, one of them is one of my favorites because Mark or I didn't start it. It started organically from the employees. And one of them is on, on your last day, you, uh, departing SDRs, send out an email, company-wide email, kind of a farewell to the troops. Yep. I want to read a little bit of yours, Robbie, because I got Oh, here. gosh. <laughs> so uh, it says, fellow elephants, as the most tenured SDR at Memory Blue, many of you are probably wondering, is this guy ever going to leave? Well, that <laughs> time has finally come. After 19 months, I'll be moving on to the next stage of my career and taking my talents to science, logic, and, and rest it. Before I officially say goodbye, I will leave you with a few words of parting advice. You get what you put in. I know this job can be tough, but stay the course. I assure you there's a light at the end of the tunnel. If you follow the systems and processes Memory Blue has in place, you will be successful. Second piece of advice, get to know the people you work with. I owe most of my success here to Memory Blue alumni and many of you reading this email. Collaborate with your coworkers and constantly look for a better way of doing things, but most importantly, have fun. I'll tell you what, I would have loved to have worked here when Robbie worked here. Definitely. I mean, we have lots of ballers who work here now and who've worked here after you left and before, but I would have liked to have sat in that row with you and Toby and Yassin and Fish Daddy, a couple at the end of, you know, leading the, leading the storm. And, and Abigail Lacey. And Abby, yeah, that's a, that's a baller crew. Bright was around. 
vessels. Vessels, yeah, vessels. Sweet talking his way. And there, there's. I've never had a manager that was better at incentivizing people and creating competition than Mischler. So no doubt, he definitely lit a fire under us. And there was, he would always have something going on uh, in, in terms of a competitive. You guys do this, you get to leave early, or you know, I'll buy lunch or whatever. But we were so competitive, we'd even have like little side bets going that weren't even part of that. So I remember like <laughs> me, Joey Cohen, Cohen. Um, Brandon, Brandon and Iring. Omari, we're all Omari. Like, yeah. And we were all on the same team, kind of sitting next to each other. And you know, I'd, I'd be listening in, and I'm, I'm like, okay, what's what's Brandon or Joey saying? I hear one of them book a meeting, and then part of me is like, hey man, congrats. Another part of me is like, all right, he he scored. Now I need to score twice. You know, so yeah. <laughs> so, so Robbie, uh, you're hitting on an important part, I think. And you know, we're in COVID, and, and there's a there's a big movement in terms of working remotely, working virtually. What would you say about the importance of being on the sales floor and just being next to those people and in the community? Like, how much did that help help you? Oh, it's it's huge, and it can't be understated that the best things I've I do now I learned from other people, and I ask a ton of questions. And so, if you feel sales is a team sport, and you can't be on an island because you're always there's always a new or better way to do things and if you're not exposing yourself to what others are doing and new ways of thinking then you're not going to be continually improving if you're just doing the same thing over and over and so a lot of the inspiration for trying new things comes from other people um and you know as well as just kind of self-reflection and and thinking like what can i do differently what can i do better but Learning from others was was a very big, much a key to my success. Robbie, so uh, when uh, in preparing for the podcast, the first thing that came to mind in terms of what I thought you did excellent was how you left the company, your exit. It was masterful. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about that process and kind of? I have some of the statistics here, but can you talk a little bit about what you did, how you did it, how uh, methodical you were in the, in the in the whole departure? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people that at Memory Blue, their goal is to get hired out by a client. That's obviously a, a shared goal amongst the majority of SDRs. And a lot of people, it's also how can I make that happen as soon as possible? For me, you know, that opportunity just didn't really present itself with the clients I had. And I saw that I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of friends and I enjoyed it there. So for me, it was a little bit different in that. I stuck around longer because it helped me prepare and it gave me more time to think about what do I really want to see as that next step. So after I'd been there, you know, probably about 15 to 18 months, you know, I I started realizing I was ready for my next move and, you know, gave a lot of thought and time into that. So I was reaching out to a bunch of companies on my own. But the thing you guys did that was really cool was the concept of the rising stars. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I was actually um, the first rising star of Memory Blue. And you guys one day brought me into your office and explained to me that you guys had this idea and that you wanted me to kind of be the first person to kind of help try it out Mm -hmm. and that you would, you know, kind of promote me to other companies and kind of help me get you know, get conversations going and, and get other companies to want to talk to me. Um, and just that experience, I mean, I think I had 
over 20 different interviews. And so that was awesome learning experience just to see what what I liked, what I didn't like and get exposure to a lot of different type of companies and kind of be a little selective. So as part of that rising start process, we sent, we packaged your, you know, your, your highlight reel up in terms of your professional accomplishments. And we sent it out to over 3000 people and 253 people were interested in talking to you. And I remember you interviewing a lot and in fact, you did such a good job that you landed seven offers. So then you were in the catbird seat in terms of determining what you wanted to do. And I want you to talk about the options that you had and why you yeah. decided to go uh, the way you did. Um, but I will say, if 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 any of my kids were to ever decide to come to Memory Blue, I would say I would encourage them to do exactly what you did. The entire time. What I mean by that is you stayed here for 19 months where you were able to kind of really soak it in and learn and master and develop your game. And then how you went out, you evaluated all your opportunities and you were able to pick the one that you thought was the best fit. And as Mark likes to say, the proof is in the pudding. The company you selected four and a half years ago is still your current employer which yep. that's very rare. So just talk a little bit about the options that you had and, and what you were thinking uh, and, and why you decided to, to choose what you, what, you, what you ended up choosing. Yeah, I think the important thing is to, you know, look at a lot of different options and figure out what's really important to you. But for me at the time specifically, I was in a crossroads where I had kind of two paths that I saw. You know, there's on the one hand, there were companies that were looking at me for kind of an inside sales role where I'd be going straight into a closing role. And the other hand, there were other companies where it was still more of a business sales development type role. And so while the decision there may seem like option A is much better than option B, what I thought about it was not necessarily where do I want to be tomorrow, but what is where do I want to be two, three years from now, kind of thinking the bigger picture and what will be best for me in the long run. So I actually, a lot of the offers I had that I turned down, you know, would have put me straight into a closing role. And while some people may hear that and think that sounds like a dumb decision to turn that down if you get into a closing role, I decided what I really wanted to do was large, complex enterprise sales and for, you know, a marquee type company that is a leader. And in order to do that, I realized I needed more time and more development to ultimately get to that role. So what may be perceived as not a big of a step forward, leaving memory blue, I was kind of like, I'm still, I'm taking a small step forward now instead of maybe a little bit of a bigger one, but then I'm taking a huge leap ahead. If I can prove myself and get to that enterprise uh, account executive type position. That's great. And and uh, how long did it take you to ultimately get there? Just- yeah, you know, I thought I was my hope was that I would come in and crush it. And at the end of the year, you know, get moved up into that closing position. And so it, it unfortunately, it, it didn't happen quite as quickly as I would have liked. So it, it took me about a year and a half, uh, all closer, year and a half to two years, uh, honestly, before I, I got into that closing role. But, you know, I don't regret the decision at all. So, yeah, for the listeners, so you, you were here as an SDR for 19 months and then another year and a half. So, 
over three years as an SDR. Yep. But that's sometimes what it takes if you want to sell those complex, big dollar enterprise deals. You have to pay your dues. You got to learn a lot before you're ready yeah. to do that. Robbie, you mean the base salary? Was it the most important thing to you when you decided what you're doing next? No, not at all. Um, I mean, it's obviously W-2 is always important to any sales rep. Sure. But to me, the most important things were more training um, and career development and kind of, I think ultimately what I was attracted to was uh, career growth. So a place where I can, if I want to be in that, you know, role of doing those large, huge million dollar deals and you know, making a lot of money doing that, what do I need to do to get there? And what's a company that'll value and allow, give me that opportunity. So those were some of the most important things to me. So let's let's talk about that. So you, you with the science logic, right. And they afforded you that opportunity to kind of grow and scale your career. So tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So, I mean, one question I asked during the interview process, I still remember, and I think this is an important thing for anyone to ask is who's responsible for training salespeople at your company and just seeing what they said. And one of the answers that was provided to me, it's not, it's not what the base, what's the base salary? No. All right. (laughs) Yeah. So I, I asked that question. And one thing that attracted to me was they had a person who was, their title was director of sales training and enablement. So they had a whole kind of team that was built out to help people. Because if the answer to that question is who's responsible for training is, you know, the team all helps each other, I would be a little cautious, you know, or if it's a manager that has 20 SCRs under them. So to me, that was the most important thing. I saw the value in training at Memory Blue and how important that was in developing my skills. So I didn't want to see that kind of flatten out or not continue to evolve after I left. Great. Interesting. I guess I remember you telling me before that, that at science logic, they have three different levels of SDR. Yeah. And so where did you start on that? Um, I started at the most at the level three and it was going in. They, 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 you know, when I first interviewed, they were like, well, we kind of see you more, you know, but as a tweener, maybe even closer to a two because three is really two minimum two years of experience. You're more like 19 months of memory blue, but I was able to, uh, kind of talk to them about that and, and negotiate it. So I started at the level three recurring, recurring theme. <laughs> and so you, and then you were a level three SDR for a little over a year and a half. And then, and then what would you uh, elevate into? Um, the name of the position was a corporate account executive. Um, but really it, for what people would understand better is it was more of a kind of SMB or mid-market role. Okay. So the, the the part that was really cool though is I was paired with different account executives where I focused on deals that were under six figures. Okay. But w- we were never competing, meaning if I close a deal, we both get paid on it. And so it was really in more of a grooming role of doing that and learning from AEs and them being incentivized to help me and be successful because ultimately they want all of my deals to close because they get paid on it. So learning a lot from the guys that had been doing it for 20 years, um, you know, science logic, our average account executive has probably about 15 to 20 years of sales experience. So it's not realistic for someone to be an SDR for a year or two and then jump into that role. Um, Cause you, you know, you would, you wouldn't be successful. It's not fair, right? There's some some things come with experience. Yeah. Right? 
So how long did you do that role for? So I did the corporate account executive role for 12 months and then um, was able to finish as the top performer in that role, which then uh, allowed me to then move to the account executive role uh, one year after, uh, one year later. So. Wow. So you were the youngest account executive at the, at the company? Yeah. Um, I was the second youngest account executive in the company's history. So it was kind of wow. cool. Okay. And that's what you're doing now? Yeah. Well, actually, since then, I started out and they have like SDRs, they have different levels of kind of AEs. Okay. So I started out in the more junior AE1 level and uh, was able to uh, finish as the top performing rep in that position. And so now I'm in the more uh, AE2, kind of more, I guess, senior account executive type role. More decorated. <laughs> Mr. Link has things well thought out over there. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> So uh, talk a little bit about how when you were at Memory Blue, you were always angling and looking for good ways to help the company that was outside just your core responsibilities of occurring leads for your clients. You've done the same at ScienceLogic yeah. as well. Talk to a little bit about how you were a rising star and what you do with rising stars now. Yeah, I mean, so with Science Logic, you know, there's kind of they everyone in the company has stock, which allows everyone to Naturally, I, you know, as as a money motivated salesperson, part of what I want to do is maximize the value of the company and as well as maximize my my own comp plan. So um, there's an opportunity to make additional money while also, in my eyes, uh, increasing the valuation of the company by bringing in solid people that are going to allow our sales team to outperform. And so it seemed like a win-win because it, it helps me, it helps the company, and it helps the memory blue. So it's really a triple win. And I have had two people um, that have come on board. Uh, Richard Gray was the first. Mr. Gray. So he was a rising star. Um, I got in contact with Wizzy. And Wizzy, uh, you know, as soon as I saw Richard, I was like, this guy's a baller and he's going to go fast. So I actually didn't even waste any time. I sent him a LinkedIn message and explaining to him that I wanted to talk to him about, you know, the fact that he's a rising star and what he wants to do and, and, you know, see if science logic could be a fit for him. So I started that off, referred him, he got hired and he's actually is, uh, my BDR right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So he, not, not just me. Um, we have kind of a shared model, but I've been working with him. So it's been awesome to kind of talk a lot about the memory blue ways of doing things and have similar mindsets. Um, and then the second one was uh, James Manning. James Manning. So James, you know, I, I, and I, I had some insider, uh, I talked to Joey Cohen and I asked him, I'm like, Hey, this James guy, you know, I'm thinking about him, you know, what, what do you think? And, you know, he was like, he's a baller. You need to get him. He'll crush it. And <laughs> same thing, you know, I, I reached out to James on LinkedIn and have a conversation and I'm kind of injecting, you know, softly selling, science logic, but more so just selling kind of, this is where I was when you were there. These are the things I thought about and ultimately seeing whether or not if, if you're, if your path or where you want to go is similar to mine, then I can give you insight on a successful way to do that. Um, and so James has been also on crushing it, um, and has, has really, 
you know, I think he's upping the bar a little bit in terms of uh, some of the the SDRs at Science Logic in terms of the both the, the quality and quantity of his outreach. It's kind of and talk a little bit about uh, when you recruited both of those individuals and did they have to start at SDR one, two or three? They started SDR three and it was a similar thing where they the recruiters thought about, oh, it seems to fit in the more of the two. And I, I kind of told them, I said, no, they this this person, you know, the the. I would argue the year or 18 months someone has a memory blue would eclipse like two or three years for other people, just given the amount of training, the amount of reps. So I was able to position that and said, look, I started at a three and I seem to do well. So they all started at the three level because they had that that memory blue uh, on their resume. That's great. That's great. So you've been clo- how long have you been closing? So this is my third year in a in a closing role now. So what's the your most memorable deal? Win or lose? Uh that's a great question. I would say my favorite deals are the ones that are self-sourced. Okay. Because there's an extra layer of of gratification and uh, out of those. Of so course. Yeah. I, I, I love salespeople who have SDRs, but self-source their own deals. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So I I I, I love self-sourced deals. I think it it adds makes me more marketable. It adds more value to me because I could say, I you wouldn't have found this deal or won this without me. And so <laughs> straight up, you know, it just wouldn't have happened. So um, those are obviously the favorite deals. Um, just, what, does one come, come to mind? Yeah, I would say just thinking about the most recent one I had was a company uh, called Collins Aerospace. Um, So they're a large Fortune 500 account. um, And I reached out to them. It's been about 18 months, maybe more since the initial contact. And so I found the opportunity. It wasn't anything that was handed to me on on a silver platter. It was something I, you know, got from an email. And at the time, you know, we went through the sales cycle. I, I, went on site multiple times, did a bunch of demos. Then all of a sudden things kind of came to a screeching halt. We, we had gone, they had a very formal process. They looked at at least a dozen different competitors and we went through and we made it through the first stage. We made it through the second stage. We made it to the third stage and we got to the point where it was us and I think two other vendors and they were going to, you know, choose kind of like a finalist. And then all of a sudden, the project kind of completely came to a screeching halt. Um, they decided to bring in other people. There was a lot of changes going on with the organization and just nothing was happening. And so it was one of those things. It's like, okay, well, I can just accept this as reality or what can I do that'll put myself in a best position to somehow still come out on top. So I was very persistent and my point of contact there of always following up what's going on. I think to the point where he's probably just annoyed being like, look, man, like nothing's changed. Like, you know, it's still on our radar, but nothing's happening right now. So I just found little ways to be like, Hey, here's an upcoming webinar or here's a Gartner report or things to just kind of keep in front. Even if it wasn't like ultimately moving things material forward, just kind of being that 
you know, that bird in their ear, I guess, so, so to speak. And you gave them the Abig- Abigail Lacey treatment. Yeah. So that was, that was the Abby thing of always, you know, the per- professional persistence. And eventually what happened, and this is just to give you some time frame. So this is like June of last year. Things are really heating up. We think I have it forecasted to close in Q3 of last year. And then things hit the wall and no communication for about nine months. Wow. Yeah. And I thought, I, I thought, I honestly thought it was dead. I closed that. I closed lost the opportunity in Salesforce. But because of my persistence, one of the people in the room who saw the value of what we did ended up getting promoted and into a director role and a decision making role with budget. And he said he still remembered, you know, me coming in there, us doing our pitch and really saw the value and kind of the passion and just the confidence of like, look, we understand your requirements and we can make a real impact and we're a great fit for you. So he reached out to me out of kind of out of nowhere and just said, Hey, you know, you may not remember me, but I was in the room and, you know, I'm, I'm in this new position. And the first thing I want to do is bring you guys in. And so that the, the sales cycle kind of restarted and was able to close it in from beginning of restart to close and, and all in one quarter, which is like wow. something that almost never happens when especially dealing with procurement at, at a company like that. There's a lot of value, but I want you to talk about it. You've been at Science Logic for how long? Uh, over four and a half years over now. Over four and a half years. So part of the value is obviously running professional sales cycles and then people remembering you and you leaving an impression and then coming back nine years, nine months later, excuse me. And that may not happen if you don't work at the company anymore. Who knows where that email is going to go? Because inevitably they shut your email off. So that email may not have even gone through and maybe the person doesn't even try and reach out to some rando at ScienceLogic, right? But you're still there. Talk to Chris and I about the value of staying sticking it out yeah. and growing with the company. And I don't know if you would consider that maybe a mistake you see your colleagues, or your peers make out there in the industry. Maybe it is, maybe it, it isn't. It depends. I kind of think it is, but talk to me about those, those two things. Yeah, certainly. So for me, you know, I, I wanted a company that was well positioned in the right market with a good product and that would continue to grow and someplace where, I could really grow within the company. And so to me, I see a lot of people, it seems very popular now that people, you know, maybe work at a company one year to one year and kind of bounce around and, oh, I, you know, this place will give me an extra 5,000 on my base. So I'm going to go chase that. Whereas for me, I always kept the big picture in mind. So for me, I wanted to work at a company that was a leader in a growing space. And I wanted to be that senior account executive that was making the big checks and closing the big deals. And so I was kind of determined that that was going to be at Science Logic, even if you know, they, they weren't used to allowing people at my age or my level of experience to do it. I was going to find a way to do it there because I didn't want to bounce around. And I, I figured if I can get that closing experience and I can prove it and then it just makes me more marketable. And it, it's, I think, sometimes easier and better to get those promotion opportunities and that closing experience at the company you start with than hoping that someone will take a flyer on you and you'll have to kind of sink or swim. Um, so that was kind of me. It was just keeping that big picture in mind. And I knew where I wanted to be and I knew the promotions I had to get to get there. And that's what I, I decided to do. That's key. 
Robbie, this was a lot of fun. A lot of wisdom, a lot of wisdom shared with the listeners. I know that they'll appreciate it, as do I. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Robbie. The pain of finding and hiring strong sales professionals is a critical challenge that is widespread and getting worse. The Memory Blue Direct Hire Service specializes in filling sales development roles within the high-tech space. And with a one-year performance guarantee and 0% interest financing, you can feel secure in your selection process when you use Memory Blue Direct Hire. As a company, we hire close to 300 SDRs annually across our five office locations. That's nearly an SDR per day all year long. Finding, hiring, and developing sales talent is the core strength of our business. Now we're letting the public tap into the resources of our world-class talent team, specifically trained to find high potential SDRs in order to close this gap. For more information on this service, check out memoryblue.com slash direct. Thanks for listening to Tech Sales is for Hustlers. Please subscribe and leave a five-star review after the beat. 